Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Stone Table. My name is Mickey, and I am a worship arts coordinator here at Baylife. And my name is Travis, and I'm the teaching pastor here at Baylife. And we are so excited to be back this year with the very first episode of 2020. It's true. Yeah, this is the first time that we've talked in about three weeks, but we are back and ready to go. And we've got so many exciting guests lined up, including our, our conversation for the day. Yes. So for today's episode, we sit down and we have a conversation with Elisa Childers. Now she's been on the show before. But she we, has. Yes. Yeah. So we got the privilege of having her back and she talked to us about some of the chapters she co-wrote and wrote for a book called Mama Bear Apologetics. Yeah. So Elisa came on the show well over a year ago at this point when it was just me kind of hosting to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about her experience with doubt and how she came to a stronger faith. And in light of that, as she's continued to grow and develop as an author and as a speaker, she's contributed some chapters on apologetics and helping us to lead our kids well in the midst of some of the lies that culture tells us. Yes, and and her ministry is so valuable. She's got a website. She's got so many resources available for not just parents who are trying to teach their children to spot cultural lies and engage with the culture that we see today, but really doubting Christians, Christians, her passion is for people with honest questions and people who are wrestling with some things that could be hard to understand whether it is doubting Christians or non-believers or parents who are just doing their best to raise their children in light of the gospel. Uh, She's just a great person to have a conversation with about those things, and she's got so many wonderful resources. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I love about the book and just about Elisa's ministry is even though it is geared towards parents, both of us just benefited a ton from it, even though we don't have any kids. And so I would encourage you if you're listening to this and you say, well, I don't have kids, so maybe this isn't the episode for me. There's a lot of great stuff in this conversation that's applicable to you right now, even if you don't have a family. I, I will say there's maybe a little bit of audio issues. We had a few times where our internet connection went bad. And so I would just ask you to bear with us on that. The interview is so good. We're so excited about it. There's so much to learn from. And so with that being said, I'm Travis. And I'm Mickey. And this is The Stone Table. Elisa, thank you so much for being on the Stone Table. We are so excited to have you. I know you and Travis have had a conversation before, but this is my first time getting to interview you, so I'm super excited to be a part of um, talking through apologetics with you. And so we know that you have been a songwriter, a singer for Zoe Girl, you're an author, you're a speaker, and you're a blogger. I've taken a look at your website, and it's such a great resource for people with questions with doubts and it's just a wonderful thing that you've done I I was looking at your website and I said Travis she's such a boss like (laughs) you've got so many great resources and so we're really excited to have you back to talk about a couple of the chapters you did for Mama Bear Apologetics well, thank you. It's so great to be uh, back with you, Travis, and, and to get to know you a little bit, Mickey. It's mm-hmm. great to be here with you guys. And, you know, I love to talk and I love to talk about stuff I love. So I'm <laughs> I'm always excited when I get the chance to do that. Yeah, I was telling Mickey that um, when I found out that you were in Zoe Girl, I was like back in 2002, which would have been middle, <laughs> middle school for me. Um, oh, my goodness. I, I was in charge of running sound for children's ministry at our church. And we had the Wow 2002 DVD <laughs> that had the music video for, ah. for Dismissed, and I would play. Oh, yes. I would play the the Zoe Girl music video and the Reliant K music video over and over again <laughs> before service started because I thought they were cool. So 
Oh, was, that is so funny. Because yeah. I've played the dismissed video for my 11 year old daughter. Mm -hmm. And um, boy, she just thinks I am so uncool. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah. embarrassed of my mom. Oh, man. I was, I was telling her like if sixth grade Travis knew that he was interviewing someone from the WOW DVD in 2010, yeah. he would have. <laughs> He would have thought it was really cool. So, so. <laughs> well, I'll go with the the younger Travis then. Uh, yeah. for my <laughs> daughter who thinks I'm totally not cool anymore. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so yeah, we wanted to sort of talk through your story and how you got to the work that you do now. So, can you explain to our listeners a little bit about how you went from singing and songwriting and Zoe Girl to your passion for apologetics? Yeah, it's kind of not a natural path, <laughs> I think, because um, I grew up with, you know, hippie parents and kind of a very artistic and creative household. So the intellectual side of Christianity wasn't really something that was front and center in the home I grew up in, although biblical authority, all of that stuff, good theology, that, that was stuff that was very important to my parents, but they, they were, you know, they're, they're artist types. And, and so, um, I'm so thankful for that upbringing because of course it gave me opportunities to grow in those areas and then eventually be a part of Zoe girl mm -hmm. and be in the Christian music industry and get to kind of pursue those passions for a while, you know, but I always loved Jesus. I all, even though I wasn't really intellectually sophisticated, I, I knew that Jesus was who he said he was and that the Bible was his word and did my best to live my life accordingly. You know, of course we right. all have our mess ups along the way. And, and I had, uh, times when, when I messed up big time, but you know, I, I just, my parents had modeled repentance for me. So I, I knew what that looked like as well. And so, uh, just, yeah, kind of a you, typical broken sinner saved by grace living out my life. And then it really wasn't until after Zoe Girl had come off the road and we had all gotten married and we're starting to have uh, kids. And, and so we came off the road and I kind of found myself in that phase of life where I had this this baby at home my my first my daughter who now thinks I'm very uncool she was a baby she <laughs> thought it was super cool right. when she was a little baby yeah. <laughs> but um no she was such a, a fun a fun baby and toddler so smart but uh so i had you know this baby at home and for moms of babies and toddlers it can be a really isolating time of life anyway mm -hmm. but right around that time I had been invited to go to a local non-denominational church here in Tennessee and, and do some songs. And so I went there and I sang and uh, there was just this really deep connection that my husband and I sensed with this church and with the pastor. And eventually we were actually attending another church at the time, but eventually we ended up attending there regularly and be in uh, making that our home church. And so about eight months after we started going there, the pastor invited me to be a part of a class. It was it was presented like it was kind of a seminary level mm -hmm. Bible study. Uh, we were going to be reading books and discussing these books in this very small and kind of um, inner circle type group. And so it was in the context of this class that the pastor let everybody know that he was an agnostic. He called himself a hopeful agnostic. And Honestly, I had heard of agnostics, but I didn't really know what that was. I think when I was about 10, my gymnastics coach said he was agnostic. Mm -hmm. And so I, I brought yeah. him a gospel tract and I thought, well, that'll <laughs> cure whatever disease that is. You yeah. know? So, I mean, I didn't know what that really was. And so uh, throughout a few kind of long and painful months, 
everything I believed about God and Jesus in the Bible was sort of picked apart intellectually. And so what I, I think looking back on it, I think that as we, you know, you may have heard the term deconstruction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are going through this process of deconstruction where all of their beliefs about God, maybe the ones they grew up with, maybe the ones they, they have been exposed to are sort of picked apart one by one. And some deconstruct all, all the way into atheism and some don't go quite that far. And then sometimes there's a reconstruction process. Sometimes there isn't. And so I think that this was this pastor's deconstruction process because he's actually gone quite a bit further from where he was at in the class since then. But there just came a point in time where you know, I, I would try to fight with them and try to debate with them, but I didn't know the arguments. I knew the Bible, but I didn't really know anything about church history. I didn't really know systematic theology or anything like that. And so after my husband and I decided to leave the church, I was sort of thrown into this really dark time of doubt. You know, I was isolated again. And by this time, I think I was pregnant with my second child. Mm. And so it was just, it it was isolating. I've got all these weird hormones going on with pregnancy and everything. And, And so I really descended into a real dark night of the soul. And I, that is when I kind of went through my own deconstruction process because I wasn't in community with other believers. And so it was really apologetics that I discovered that helped reconstruct my faith because I never went all the way into atheism, but I, I came to the point where I really wasn't sure if Christianity was true. And I really wasn't even sure if God existed. And so I had to kind of start from scratch. Although I knew it's like, I believe help my own belief, like that father Mm -hmm. prayed with Jesus or said to Jesus. And so, um, yeah, God used apologetics to, to help reconstruct and put the pieces of the puzzle back together. Uh, and, and, you know, along the way I made corrections. I realized there were some unbiblical things. I believed there were illogical things that I believed. Mm -hmm. And so I made course corrections along the way, but then I just became filled with a passion to help other people. Uh, in in that same type of process, yeah, that that passion, I mean, it shines through in your your ministry through your website and yes. your podcast. I went through a similar experience, um, maybe not similar in the sense that I was a part of sort of a pastoral group, but kind of encountered through podcasts and through blogs people who were questioning their faith and. Uh, through commentaries, because I just sort of assumed everybody who said they were a Christian believed the same things. And then encountering someone who claimed to be a Christian who didn't believe in original sin or the inerrancy of scripture or or the historicity of the Exodus. And encountering that, it it threw me into a a really, really wild tailspin. And so I I think it was even this Sunday I I preached on doubt, um, specifically knowing that this whole deconstruction process is something that a lot of people a lot of my friends, a lot of people in sort of our generation are going yes. through. And so I, it is, to my knowledge, you're one of the few people who's really addressing it and really tackling yeah. it head on in the way that you are. And so I'm I'm super grateful for the fact that you've been through it and, and have come out on the other yeah. side and can speak sort of as someone who's passed through the process and come out orthodox and still right. loving Jesus and <laughs> Right, because that's yeah. kind of the key there, isn't it? A lot of yes. people who reconstruct end up adopting just a really aberrant view of God, a really false view of the Bible and the gospel and the cross and all of these things and sort of kind of creating uh, Christianity in, in a way that feels right to them or in a way that is more palatable to them. But 
yeah, I think you're right. I haven't encountered very many people who have deconstructed and then reconstructed to an Orthodox faith or what I actually call a historic Christian faith. Mm. And that doesn't mean that all throughout history, Christians have agreed on everything, but going back to the roots of it, the, the initial thing, what was Christianity to begin with, and then tracing that throughout the ages to, to, you know, where we are today. And so that's what I mean when I talk about historic Christianity, but yeah, it's, it's a, so this movement of progressive Christianity seems to be sweeping up so many people who have honest doubts, who have legitimate questions and legitimate critiques of maybe the church experiences they grew up in, uh, but they're, they're giving false answers. And so that's, that's kind of been my passion and my focus is to address this movement and, and hopefully give people language for what they might be seeing in their own churches, but may not have been able to articulate or identify, but also to maybe help some people who are being a little bit swayed by it. You know, I mean, I'm not going to convince the ones that are totally convinced of it, but maybe if somebody's a little bit confused and, and they're being tempted by some of these ideas that seem loving, they seem uh, more gracious. They seem to be more focused on people rather than, you know, doctrines or things mm-hmm. like that. And so I think that my prayer is that God will bring revival to the church mm-hmm. and it will be the historic, you know, Christianity. Right. It, it won't be a false version. It will be the real thing. Mm. Right. And we are so thankful for that passion of yours. And, and it's a gift really. And we're, we're really thankful that there are people out here putting out resources and, and sort of cultivating an environment where we can um, ask come, questions ask questions, yeah. and come to the feet mm-hmm. of Jesus and really, really tackle those and, and, you know, seek him and, and as well as being in community with other believers who can help us walk through those seasons. Yeah. So we're really grateful for that. And we are really grateful for this book that you have contributed two chapters in and you co-wrote a chapter. So three total of Mama Bear Apologetics. I wanted to ask, how did this book come about? Um, this seems like such a cool project. I, well, I, I can, I can rave on it because it wasn't my invention, you know, I'm, <laughs> but my friend Hillary Ferrer, uh, has had a ministry called Mama Bear Apologetics for several years. And we met a few years ago when I first started blogging, she reached out to me and and was just so kind and welcoming to the apologetics community and all of that. And and so we just developed a friendship from there. And then she was offered a book deal uh, through Harvest House, I Mm -hmm. guess a couple of years ago now. And it was really her idea to make it a team effort, like a group effort. So there are several different contributors. And I think that that was a really wise choice because the types of topics we talk about are very research heavy. And so for one person to write a book like that would probably take years of research, but you know, she was smart enough to delegate that stuff out. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and really, I think what came together is just a fantastic resource. Even I use it as a resource. Like I was writing (laughs) something for for something the other day and I thought, oh, I need to remind myself of the history of postmodernism. So Mm -hmm. I went and I got my mama bear book because I know how reliable the research is in this book and it's in, I can trust it. So what I love about it though, is because it's just the whole mama bear theme Mm -hmm. because every mom knows what we mean when we say mama bear. You know, I mean, there are stories of moms lifting cars off their children in adrenaline rushes when a mama bear gets poked, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or when our kids get, you know, into something at school, that mama bear rises up where a woman might otherwise be naturally shy or kind of (laughs) timid. 
you know, this mama bear comes out of her and she will like, she will swipe your head off, you know, if, <laughs> if you mess yeah. with her kids. And so that's Hillary's tagline is mess with our kids and we'll demolish your arguments, which is so great. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's the book is baller. written to moms and it's, yeah, 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 yeah it's that. excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and so it's like, you know, it's equipping moms, but it's also written in a style that in a voice that is so funny and engaging. Yes. You, you don't feel like you're learning the history of postmodernism. You right. actually feel like you're just having girlfriend, you know, coffee with your girlfriends and laughing about everything, but learning a lot in the process. So I'm really, I'm really proud of Hillary for what she accomplished as the general editor of this book. And, you know, she's just got this great mind and just great vision to do something like this. Mm -hmm. And I was really grateful to be a part of it. I, I absolutely love the book. Yeah. I thought it was so good. I did too. I loved yeah, the... Yeah, it's not just for moms, right? It's right. Yeah. Like guys like it too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's very, it's definitely pointed toward moms and people with families, but also anybody like us could just pick it up and read it, have a brief introduction to the history of the topic, and at the end, very practical applications for how to how to engage in, in these topics with our families and our kids. So I, I really appreciated the, just the, the whole book and each of the chapters and the way that it presents the arguments. Right. And, and you're right in that it's really well researched. Like very, as, very well done. As I was reading through the chapters, I was like, gosh, I don't know if most people reading this realize the, how big the ideas that they're distilling are. Yes. Uh, and and how much work has gone into making this readable and understandable? Um, it was it was just it was really really good and 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 I love that it was done in community. I, I think all yes. good theology yes. is communal, and so engaging these ideas is a is a communal is of communal importance, and so we do it together. Um, what yeah, are the and actually, one cool thing about the book is that every week, uh, well, just about every week on Monday nights, we would all meet by Skype. Oh, okay, so cool. even though each chapter has a specific author or authors mm -hmm. everybody contributed to everything we read every chapter out loud and we would stop and say wait I think that's too hard to understand for the average person mm -hmm. let's see if we can word that in an accurate way where it's still you know still accurate right but it's just brought down a little bit and easier to understand and like we had one mama bear that was always fighting to simplify and then one <laughs> that was always fighting to to you know for that high language mm -hmm. and that was a great tension because it, it caused us to sort of have to battle those things out and really get it right. right. And so you're right. It, it was, even though there's specific authors, it was it's such a group effort in that we had documents online where if you, if you had a great quote for this chapter, you'd throw it into the document and the author might use it. Or if you found a cool little piece of research, you could throw that in there. So it, it was, was really fun in that yeah. sense. It's so cool. Yeah. One of the chapters that you contributed is on the new age movement. And I, I thought it was so interesting and so fascinating. We we did our honeymoon in Asheville, North Carolina. I don't have you been to Asheville before? I've been through it. Okay. I've driven through it several times, but I'm not I don't think I've stopped there except maybe like to go to Starbucks or something. I don't know. Is there a Starbucks there? I, I, there yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's idea. I I think I think there's probably a couple. And then there's the more okay. like craft local hipster coffee shops too. <laughs> but Right. Uh, so I I was kind of in the same boat. I had driven through Nashville on tour in the past or not Nashville. Nashville is where you are. Asheville. I had yes. driven I had driven through <laughs> Asheville on tour and had stayed for a couple hours. But we stayed there for a week and it's just full of crystal shops and tarot cards and all sorts of ah, new age stuff. But the thing that was so interesting about it is that a lot of these were not 
fringe hippie shops. They were more hipster, were modern, trendy. trendy shops that sold crystals and tarot yeah. cards and offered Sunday school classes on how mystical to, topics. Right, and, how to read them, how to participate in those things. And, and I that was so fascinating to me because growing up, these were fringe ideas. These were sort of weird and on the edges of society, yeah. but now... It's almost like they're cool yeah. and they're trending. And so I guess as somebody who's really thought about this, and I can tell you've spent a lot of time engaging with this, how do we move from this being a strange edge of society, bizarre sort of thing to where it's kind of cool and trending on Instagram to buy crystals and- In the and, mall. In you the can mall. just go buy yeah. them. Well, in the yeah, because the first time I was really- aware of being exposed to that kind of idea is that I, I had found this, okay, this is kind of silly, but it's a line of body lotion, right? Okay. So I loved this body lotion. And so I started to follow the, you know, the, the creator of, of the body lotion was this mom and she had kind of, mm -hmm. you know, crafted this all herself. And so I started following because I just thought this was the greatest product. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed that she would quote Christians sometimes, okay. or even Bible verses sometimes on Instagram. And so I began to wonder like, oh, is she a Christian? That's so neat. You know, she would talk about God and she would even talk about Jesus and mm -hmm. put a Psalm up there once in a while. But then I saw that she was developing new product and she had all these crystals sitting around the body lotion, oh. right? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wait, 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 what's going on? And then there was another picture of her meditating with crystals on her body. And I'm, I was so confused. This was many, this was many years ago before I'd really started studying apologetics and theology. And I couldn't figure out what was going on because mm -hmm. I was like, well, I thought, is she Christian, but she's just kind of doesn't yeah. really know <laughs> yeah. or something. I didn't know. And so as I, as I began to see actually some of these ideas come into the church, as I began to read progressive Christian material, then it all started to come together. And when it really made sense was when I read Ravi Zacharias's book, Why Jesus, where he talked about the kind of Deepak Chopra, Oprah phenomenon mm -hmm. and, and really what that brought into everyone's living rooms. Because if you think back to the, the 90s, you had Oprah was so popular and so many people liked her and, and she was pretty neutral as far as, you know, she was Jesus friendly. She, you know, but mm -hmm. then she starts advocating these new age teachers and, and then even bringing in some quote unquote Christian teachers who were teaching some of the same things. So that's when it started to make sense for me. Uh, but, but yeah, it's basically like when you say the word new age or the phrase new age, most people think, oh, that's something old. Like that's from the seventies, like the hippies were doing that. And that's, that's not anything that's really affecting us today. Well, they don't really call it new age. Some people do, but that's not really what's so mainstreamed and popular, but it's all of those same ideas. It's just wearing right. different clothes. Like you said, it's the hipster mm -hmm. kind of, right. it's got the hipster makeover, but it's all the same ideas that you find in good old fashioned new age. And, and a lot of it's even coming into the church as well. Mm. Can you, can you trace a line as to Hey, this is how this became more mainstream. Would you say Oprah is kind of the one of the big ways that it became popular in America? Yeah, I think so. I think Oprah is a is a huge machine, you know, because she she's more than just a person. She's a brand with right. magazines and and networks and and so influential and so honestly engaging. What an engaging person, very smart person. So so many people were influenced 
by her. And then when she began to bring in some of these teachers like Deepak Chopra and Marianne Wilson and advocating their books, choosing their books for her book club, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, millions of people were following along in her book clubs and, and being influenced. Well, and then, so I think two guys like Richard Rohr is, mm. is a huge character. Mm. Again, he's been on Oprah. She had, she endorses him. And he brought a lot of new age ideas into the church, I think, and influenced a lot of people unknowingly. Like, I don't think they they realized he has heretical views about the atonement, heretical views about the nature of God. They, they may not have realized those things, but, you know, he, he says some nice things about Christian life. And so, mm-hmm. so it can be deceptive because it looks good and it seems nice and it seems all inclusive and loving and all of these things. But yeah, I think, I think honestly for America, Oprah was probably the biggest catalyst that propelled new age into people's homes. I think about somebody like Richard Rohr. We were actually talking about him before we started this episode and he is, I mean, wildly influential, especially on progressive Christians, mm-hmm. but the way he yes. speaks is sort of in this mystical vein and i think he would say he's in the christian mystical tradition but yeah. but he yes. he very much strays outside of the bounds of orthodoxy on things like the doctrine of the trinity or the atonement and and so yes. that kind of brings up the other chapter you wrote in the book which is on progressive christianity and it feels like there's some overlap there between sort of the new age ideas as well as the sort of progressive christian movement and and i could say i've seen that in my friends that have gone towards a progressive Christianity, they've also started to sound more more new age mystical in, in their thinking. So what do you think the overlap is there? Why do these two things tend to tend to appear together or lead in and out of one another? Boy, that's a good question. I'd have to almost I'd have to think about that one. I don't why do they overlap? I well, okay, I think that you know, in my, in my book that's coming out next fall, which is going to be solely dedicated to the subject of progressive Christianity, but it's also going to be largely story. It's my story of walking through my doubts and kind of reconstructing my faith, but kind of through the lens of addressing this movement of progressive Christianity. And so, so I think that the reason there might be overlap is because there's a vacuum that's left. So when, you know, I I've said this before, but I have not personally met or read or heard of, uh, I don't have stats to back this up, but I, I haven't personally encountered a progressive Christian who was converted into progressive Christianity from, say, atheism or Buddhism or, or something else. I think it's safe to say that progressive Christianity is made up of ex-evangelicals, yeah. is people who grew yes. up in the church people who had a bad experience, maybe they encountered abuse, maybe they witnessed hypocrisy, uh, moral failures that were dealt with terribly. Maybe they were raised to think that their little sect of Christianity, I think this is a huge problem with Jen Hatmaker when she talks about her growing up. She talks about how she'd never been anywhere. She hadn't really heard of anything outside of her little bubble. And then when she did finally it was like this whole new world. And so I think that can be a huge problem too. When Christians growing, like I, I, I'm so thankful for my upbringing because I was exposed to lots of atheists and lots of people of other worldviews. We did all kinds of homeless ministry and street ministry and urban ministry. And so I'm so thankful for, for those experiences because I know that they, they safeguarded me from that, that type of thing. Um, but you know, there's reasons people leave. So when, when they leave, or maybe they just don't like what the Bible teaches anymore, they have trouble with the morality of the Bible. And so when you leave something, 
there's a space there you got to fill up with something. And so it would make sense that getting away from the authority of scripture, getting away from what they see as rigid doctrines, intellectual propositions. I hear that all the time, that it's just intellectual propositions. So if you get away from that stuff, it's going to leave a void that you're going to want to fill with something else. What would make sense to fill that with what feels right. And I know that that's a really oversimplified way to say that, but largely in new age, the, the whole mystical thing is really, it is going on your feelings. I sense this about, uh, about God. So therefore that's going to be my truth. You know, I, I feel like God wouldn't be like this. So that's my truth. I've talked with lots of progressive Christians who they probably wouldn't say, Oh, I just go by my feelings. But when you really talk with them, that is what they're doing. And we, I mean, we all have a tendency to do that, but I think that's the difference really between like a historic Christian and a progressive Christian is that hopefully historic Christians are going to go. I'm not going to go by what I feel, even though I might feel it, I'm going to go by what's true. I'm going to go by God's word. But yeah, so I, I think that there, there might be just cause there's that void there that you got to fill with something. Everybody's got to have something that they're believing and that they're looking toward uh, to, to guide their life, a worldview, even if you will. Right. So one thing I wanted to ask you, because in light of these cultural lies and the things that we keep hearing for the children in our lives, and we're not parents yet, but we've talked about it and it's a phase of life that we're really excited about. But I'll tell you that parenting and the age that we're in right now is a little scary. And, and it's something that before, we've had really long conversations about it's something I, I genuinely feared because what do we do when these lies are infiltrating everything that we that we digest it, it's everywhere it's in our tv it's in the newspapers it's in magazines so what do what do parents do in light of these things well that's such a good question I think that's the question that parents of every generation have to figure out like right. as, as- we raise our, because I think we can look at what our parents did right and what our parents did wrong. Like I can look at my upbringing and go, man, my parents really did a great job of uh, exposing me to a lot of different types of people. We traveled a lot. I, I got to see a lot of different parts of the world and the way people lived. And I got to meet lots of Christians from all over the world. So that I knew that the specific brand of Christianity that I grew up in was not the only one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something my parents really did well. That's so important. But on the other yeah. it yeah. is it's really important. And so on, but on the other hand, and I'm not criticizing them. In fact, we've talked about this. It just wasn't an issue when I was a kid. So they couldn't have foreseen it. But right. but I wasn't prepared in the realm of apologetics to to encounter skeptical claims. It was just, man, the Bible says that settles it. Right. You know, to me on Hollywood while I was doing street ministry and said, you know, your God is just fairy tales. I would, you know, the Bible says, and I knew he was wrong. And so I, you know, I hadn't been prepared in that sense. And so I think as our generation of parents is preparing to raise our kids, one thing that I have really tried to implement again is kind of what my parents did, uh, showing different types of, you know, Christianity and what, what is the main thing? What, what are the essentials even talking right. through with my kids? Like what, what's it okay to disagree about? What's it not okay to disagree about? But, a but the biggest thing is, in, and I think this is something our generation is figuring out and hopefully we will do well is what the mama bear book talks about with teaching discernment yes, and, and Hillary calls it the chew and spit method. So now again, you know, if, if it's a food metaphor, if it's something you don't even want to put in your mouth in the first place, you know, mm-hmm. that's okay to say, I don't even want to eat that. Right. But 
taking in everything and not being afraid of things. I think that like when I was growing up, everything was about if this movie is quote unquote clean, mm -hmm. then right. it's okay to watch. You know, if it didn't have cussing, if it didn't have sex scenes, then you could watch it. Even if it's about like, uh, you know, a Hallmark movie where a guy's having an affair on three different women. Right, <laughs> as long right. as there's no sex, right. it's okay. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that that <laughs> didn't teach my generation to think critically. And so right. the approach I've taken with my daughter, especially since we started working on this Mama Bear apologetics book has really proven fruitful. And I'll give you an example, but just to give you an overview of what that method is, it's not shielding your kids from everything, not saying this is bad and this is good. And then they grow up and go to college and go, oh my gosh, you know, that movie Moana wasn't bad. What were my parents thinking? But right. they weren't given any of right. the tools. I've still never seen that, but I'm sure it's great. <laughs> yeah, well, No, it's, you know, it, it's, it, I think movies like Moana, Frozen, all of these movies are terrific opportunities to show your kids like, hey, you can enjoy entertainment, but don't ever turn your brain off. Right. analyze. And so what I always do with my daughter, in fact, to the point she rolls her eyes is I'll <laughs> let her watch a lot of things that maybe before we started working on this mama bear book, I would have said, no, I don't want you to see like frozen where she sings, let it go. Let, you know, no right, no wrong for me. Just let mm -hmm. it go. Mm -hmm. You know, but instead I see that as an opportunity to say, okay, let's enjoy this movie. Let's laugh at the funny parts. Let's, but let's not let anything slip by without analyzing mm. it. And so we, I've been doing this with her for a couple of years. We watched Pocahontas and we were able to talk about animism and, and a little bit about pantheism and teach her what that worldview is and why it disagrees right. with uh, Christianity and why Christianity better explains reality to the point now where I took her to the theater to see Frozen 2. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I just was so happy because in the first five minutes, it starts explaining how there's these four spirits from the earth and the wind and, and fire and water. And, and they, you know, they're the spirits of the earth. And my daughter, she just sighed and she goes, Oh, pantheism. <laughs> just like she that. said and that I was pantheism. Like, she said, yeah, pantheism. Oh and, my gosh. And it was like, Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's She's incredible. Like, yeah. 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 Isn't that great? I mean, I was just like cheering inside you know yes. and and I think teaching them that we don't have to be afraid of things obviously if something is so unholy it it, it would right bring harm to your soul to watch it you don't want to you don't want to chew and spit with things like pornography or you know, exactly so excessive you know that kind of stuff but just to teach them like this isn't going to hurt you mm -hmm. to to hear what they're saying but but always analyze it even something that's that says it's Christian and we do that as well even with devotionals and uh, in fact, my mom bought her a journal that had all these sayings on it. And one of them was like, follow your heart. And mm -hmm. so my daughter wrote corrections on the inside of the journal. Like she still uses the journal. <laughs> she but sounds she's like, awesome. Correction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. I hope, you know, and, and yes. that's the best I can do now. She, you know, right. I, everybody's got a choice to walk away and she'll have that choice too. And, but hopefully I will have taught her to think through things well. So yeah, I think, I think the main thing I see with parents that scares me is when they start putting things in categories of good or bad. Right. Mm -hmm. And in just one quick example of that was a, an apologist friend of mine, uh, Elizabeth Urbanowitz has a great blog for parents about teaching kids apologetics. And she wrote a post on frozen basically said, here's five questions that you can talk with mm -hmm. your kids about when you go see frozen. Well, she was not prepared for, and I was not prepared for the tremendous pushback she got from Christian parents. Like how would, why would you ever take your kid to see Frozen and just almost condemning her for suggesting that you could have kind of meaningful conversations with your kids 
about the movie. She was blown away. I I I was too. I I didn't realize there were still so many people. That's strange to me. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, but but it was a lot of people, and I think the reason for that is because of how crazy things have gotten, even in the church. The natural reaction is to retreat and isolate. And batten down the hatches. And I think a lot of parents are doing that as a maybe an unhealthy extreme reaction to the crazy things that are coming in. I I think about that even in the realm of like theology. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the books in my office where we're recording this, and there are so many books on my shelf that are f- full of things I disagree with, but but there's some great stuff in there too. And what, uh-huh. I've, what I've found, especially among kind of upcoming people thinking about theology, is that everything is a zero-sum game. So if I don't agree with yeah. every single thing in this book, I will refuse to read it or recommend it to anybody. And I'll, I'll choose yeah. a not-as-good book as long as I agree with everything in it. And having yeah. the ability to just go, hey, I don't agree with everything in it, but on this topic, they're the best person to read, and I can sift out the bad and yeah. understand the good is, gosh, man, I Christians would just benefit from that the world over for having the ability to to discern rather yeah. than dismiss. Boy, that is such a good point, because I see that all the time, even with the emergence of all these discernment ministries, that in a way, now, not all of them are like this, but many and they have huge followings where they're just basically calling everybody a heretic because they don't conform to their very specific view on maybe a mm-hmm. peripheral issue that isn't essential to the gospel and and you know by by some of the the measures of that I've seen they would call me a false teacher and it's it's just like it, it's almost like this extreme reaction uh, to to a legitimate problem but it's the tough thing is striking the balance there and and trusting that people can think and if they learn to think well, that they'll that the Holy Spirit will empower them to do that. Yeah, yeah. I I really like what you said about um, taking your daughter to see Frozen Two, and how the way that we teach our children to think critically and see everything through the lens of discernment and being equipped to point out the things that are just not true. And so, there's a quote from one of your chapters that says, "It is not enough to merely criticize what our culture gets wrong. We must model and embody a better way." And I love that in practice by teaching your children to see things like that in the movie and point out, hmm, I know what that is. And it's right. it's important to for us to model that and, and teach our children to think critically and to be able to to see things through the lens of truth that comes from the word of God. And so Yeah, I you know, I would be interested I would be interested to know what do you think it looks like to to embody a better way because we both like we read the book separately and then we sat down and talked about what we underlined and we both underlined that sentence we did. um oh wow yeah, yeah. so it, it stood out to both of us independently and together but yeah i'd just be curious you know how do how do we embody a better way yeah well i think teaching kids discernment is a huge one but i think it, as far as embodying it ourselves is to model it ourselves, you know, like there, there are things that I've really had to talk myself down to try to implement. And one of those things is the whole idea of fear reacting in fear. I think that's a huge one. When I was going through my deconstruction, there were Christians in my life that I couldn't even talk to 
because they were so fearful about what was going on. And it would just, why do you, you shouldn't even be out, you know, don't, don't ask those things, mm-hmm. you know, just the Bible is true and you should just accept that. And, and there was this fear and because of the rigidity, I was put off and I didn't want to talk to them, but the ones that were like, well, Hey, let's, let's kind of research this together. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, as parents, embodying that lack of fear. So when your kid asks a question, you have such an opportunity and I have to talk to myself all the time. Like when my daughter, she's asking different questions Mm. than the questions I asked. And this is an example we give in the book. When I was a little kid and I read about Moses crossing the Red Sea, my first question was like, where the, could you see the fish in the, Mm -hmm. in the water walls? That's in the Prince of Egypt. So you obviously have to. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The things like, could you see that where they're, dead fish on the dry part. Right. I mean, those were the questions I was asking. Whereas when I read that for the first time with my daughter, when she was about six, cause she is like crazy smart. She went, did that really happen mom? Mm. And of course my first thing was like, oh, of course that happened. Don't question the, you know, that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. But then I thought, you know, I have such an opportunity right here to pave the way for her to ask me more questions. And so I just talked to myself internally and I told her, I said, wow, what a great question. And that has become my mantra with both my kids, no matter what they ask me, no matter how crazy Uh it seems or how scary it seems to just pause, breathe. Wow. What a good question. That's a question a lot of people have asked before, and you don't have to know the answer, Mm. but just to invite the kid to trust you. I think is a, is a huge way to embody that, to not be afraid of other ideas. And it's not, this is something Jay Warner Wallace talked about in a video that he posted once where he was talking about he being so convinced that the Christian worldview is true, that you don't, you know, when you're the biggest dog in the yard, you don't have to bark at all of the other little dogs. Yeah. And, and I thought that was a great metaphor because we don't have to be afraid of other ideas if we really believe this is true. And so uh, I think modeling that calm, uh, I'm not afraid to hear what a Buddhist has to say about this. I'm not afraid to, to see pantheism in a Disney movie because I know what the truth is. And, and so I think embodying that even in the way we live every day, analyzing everything and, and just not, and, and also this is an important thing too. Um, N- Natasha Crane recently po- put out a video where she was talking about researchers are saying that committed Christians make up less than 30% of Americans now. Wow. So in that sense, Christians are committed Christians are now a worldview minority. And so I think letting our kids know that, like it used to, when I was growing up, like it was, you know, the Judeo Christian, even if people wouldn't say that they believed that that was still kind of the dominant philosophy that undergirded the morality of our culture even. But now we are a worldview minority and even letting our kids know that like you are different. You are not the majority in what you believe anymore so that they are prepared that when they go to college and they meet everybody who is like, what are you weirdo? You're a Christian. Mm -hmm. That doesn't take them by surprise, especially for the ones that grew up in a, in a pretty sheltered Christian uh, environment. And I just, I think that's so good and, and so wise that, the way that I describe it is to just have a quiet confidence in the gospel, yes. which is not which is not afraid to ask questions, uh, but has this confidence that there are answers, even if you don't know them, uh, even if you have to spend a long time looking for them, 
There is yeah. this, and it's on my mind because we talked about it in church on Sunday, the 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 Philip and Nathaniel exchange at the beginning of John's gospel where Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Which is a really skeptical thing to say. And when you kind of drill down to the historical context, he's fully convinced that everything Philip has said about Jesus is just completely wrong. And right. Philip's response is not, how dare you question God? Right. Who are you to ask those sort of questions? It's just, come and, come see. and see. Come and see. It's it's yeah. this quiet confidence that there are answers. Um, one of the things yeah. that I loved in your book, there was this illustration that you use that you, you give in certain talks. I think when you're talking specifically about progressive Christianity, where you show a picture of your daughter at the, I think it's at the beginning of the talk and everybody goes, oh, that's uh-huh. so cute. And then you show another picture at the end. Is is that how it goes? R- remind me of the illustration because yes. it was so good. It was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, w- what I think I did, and I wrote about this in the book, mm-hmm. is at the beginning of the talk, I'm just sort of doing the introduction. You know, here's my kids. Aren't they cute? And you tell a little story about them. And then I give the talk. And then at the end, I I talk about can't like uh I can't remember if I if I start by talking because I've changed this a bit now because I couldn't that that picture that I used well I'll explain this after I done explaining what it is. <laughs> so um at the end of the talk I basically tell a story about my daughter and while I'm telling the story I I put a different picture up. Mm. Uh, but what the audience doesn't know is that it's a different little girl. It mm. it looks like my daughter but it's not her. I found this picture online and this is why I can't use it anymore because I don't have permission to use it, especially <laughs> if I you know, were to put this out online. Right. But I just pulled this picture of this little girl off the internet and she looks ex- just like my daughter to mm-hmm. anyone who doesn't know my daughter. But that's the point mm-hmm. is the best way to spot a counterfeit is not by studying all of the counterfeits. Like I could study a thousand pictures of kids who are not my daughter, but mm-hmm. I don't need to do that. Because mm-hmm. I can spot a counterfeit instantly because I know my daughter. Right. Anyone right. in my family would know within within a split second that that little girl is not my daughter. But the, the few times I did that with that picture, there wasn't anyone. I even asked, you know, raise your hand if you thought that that was a different kid. Nobody. Right. Because right. they don't know her. So they're much more easily tricked into, into buying into the, the counterfeit because they don't know the real the thing. Truth. And so that's sort of the main point is know the real thing. And that's yes. that's an important thing where you were talking about a quiet confidence in the gospel. That's another thing that I do constantly with my kids is define the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. like I'll talk about the creation, the fall, the redemption and the restoration of all things as as what the what we mean when we're talking about the gospel it's what god accomplished redemptively in history and included in that is that you're a sinner saved by grace that jesus died for your sins and, and because often when i hear progressive christians use the term the gospel mm-hmm. they they use it all the time mm-hmm. oh for the, this is what the gospel the you know for the sake of the gospel but often what they mean by the gospel is just kind of whatever they've created to to be what, what they're for. So it could be social justice. The gospel to them could be just being friendly with your neighbors. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it takes on this really sort of loose meaning. So making sure they know what that word means and what words we use, what those words mean, I think is an important thing as well. And I think, gosh, like as, as, as a parent, which neither of us are currently, but I've got to think like your first order of business is, 
emphasizing and re-emphasizing and teaching and reteaching and illustrating, hey, this is what Christianity is. Right. And, yes. and th- these are the depths of Christianity. Here's the riches of Christianity. And gosh, that for me, like when I went through my crisis of faith, it drove me back into church history and, and theology. And what I came out with was, man, Christianity is so much deeper than I ever thought it was. Yes. And and it's and it's so much more beautiful than I thought it was before I spent the time to really understand it. And yeah. and I reached this point where I was like, one, I think Christianity is true, but two, it's the only thing that I would even want to be true. Um, yes, because it is. I mean, it's it. There's this uh, C.S. Lewis talks about. Um, it's in, I think it's in one of the Chronicles of Narnia where there's a character who's like, even if Aslan isn't real, he's better than the world that you live in. Yes. Um, which is not to say, you know, we can just believe whatever sounds best. And yet when you really do dive into the depths of Christianity, you see the elegance and the beauty of, of historic Christian faith in a way that I think yeah. is really captivating. Yes, and I love what you wrote um, that yeah, when, when your parents raised you, they, they embodied the, the rich faith that Christianity really is. And you wrote, loving Jesus was what their whole life was about. They didn't give me a tepid, shallow, fake Christianity to rebel against. It was the real thing. And I think that's such a great, that's such a, that's such a gift to be able to share that with our children and with our families, the, the, the richness of what our faith really is. Yeah, it's, it's really true. And I think that's why, and I've said this before, that if I became convinced that Christianity was not true, that the Bible was not actually God's word, you know, if it was just kind of a travel journal of our ancient ancestors, a photograph that we can look at and know what they believed about God, but it's not necessarily God's word. If I believed that, if I believed that Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead, maybe it was just more of a metaphor. Maybe it was just something that symbolizes new life. If, if I didn't believe that Jesus died in some sense as, you know, in my place, that, that his work on the cross was to redeem my soul. If I didn't believe that, if I didn't believe that, that he was the only way to God, if, if I just didn't believe in Christianity more, there's no way I would become a progressive Christian. There's nothing that progressive Christianity has to offer me that gives me any hope at the end of the day. Uh, it, it seems hard because it's works-based, you know, it's, it's very much about what you're doing for social justice. It's virtue signaling there. It, it's all about the works and you know, of course, as Christians, works are a fruit of our faith, and we should be doing good works. Faith without works is dead. So that's a signal that our faith is alive. But but in progressive Christianity, they don't have anything to offer me. They have a, an impotent Savior who can only stand in solidarity with me, but he can't save me from my sin. They give us an impotent Bible that can, you know, give us some fun information about what people believed at God at a certain point in history. But it doesn't really reveal anything true that we can count on regarding the nature and, and plan of God throughout history. And uh, yeah. And, and I, I really resonated with what you said, Travis, because I just think that when I really studied church history, when I read the early fathers, when I, when I even read Augustine, who is a little later 
confessions mm -hmm. and I, I'm just working on an article right now on confessions. So you got, I've got Augustine on the mind. Mm -hmm. Our cat's um, name is Augustine. Yeah. So he's always oh, on our mind. So you get it. Yes. You get it. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, in many ways, I actually teared up when I was writing this article because in many ways, Augustine led me back home because he was one of the first people I read that was really old, you know, old and ancient because I knew I had to figure out what historically Christianity was. And so somebody said, well, you should read confessions. And I thought, well, that'll be a good way to see what Christianity might've looked like in the fifth century. So I, I start reading it and I was absolutely just blown away by his attitude towards God, his love of the scriptures and, and his belief in Jesus as his savior. And, oh, and just his disgust for heresy and, and yeah. false teaching, mm -hmm. and, you yeah. know, all of things. And, and he literally in confessions, he was refuting a lot of the ideas that had been brought about in this class from the fifth century. And so that was just mind blowing to me. And it was, you know, it was such a, a, a sweet picture of just what Christianity looked like in that, in that time. But yeah, I forget why I started talking about Augustine. See, I get all, I, I love Augustine. I get so misty-eyed when like, we talk about Augustine. I'm misty-eyed, so, and, yeah. and now I can't remember my name. And <laughs> yeah. uh, Well, I'll tell you, our cat is is Augustine before his conversion. He's yeah. an awful little oh, devil of a cat. He's very bad. Yeah. 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 yeah he's we're, oh. we're evangelizing to him right yeah. now. Yeah, he has Yes, a, I do. And I, that's another thing I love about Augustine is, like, he's so shockingly honest mm -hmm. at times, you know, in, in while he's confessing, and which is so convicting to me, but yeah, he was a messed up guy. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, gosh, Elisa, we have absolutely loved this conversation. Yes. This has been uh, just so encouraging. And gosh, the, the resource that you produced in Mama Bear Apologetics is is a tremendous gift to not just mothers and not just parents, but I think Christians everywhere uh, can just yes. benefit so widely from it. And I can't wait to to see that new book that you're working on. What When is that coming out? Do you have a timetable for it? It is coming out or hopefully early fall of 2020, and mm -hmm. we are we are nailing down a title. But it, we we have the main title, but we're working on the subtitle. And so I think it's safe to say that I can tell you the main title is going to be called Another Gospel. Okay. okay. Because I argue in the book that progressive Christianity isn't just a group of Christians that are changing their mind on uh, maybe biblical sexuality or or social issues. This this is an entirely different religion with a different God, and it's a different gospel. And so. Um, it's gonna be called another gospel. And then the subtitle will allude to the fact that it's really a lot of story. It's, it's a memoir in mm -hmm. some ways, but a theological, I don't know what the word would be. It's theological in other ways though. Cool. Awesome. So for our listeners, how can they keep up with the work that you're doing and, and stay in, in touch with the resources that you're producing? The best way just would be go to my website, alisachilders.com, and I've got a podcast on there. I've got a blog that's been lying dormant for about a year while I wrote the book, but I, I'm getting back in the blogger seat, and I'm excited about, I've got lots of blog ideas that I'm going to bring, but just to really keep people updated on what's going on in progressive Christian uh, you know, churches, what they're teaching, uh, what the biblical answer is. And so I'm going to be really kind of going full bore and focusing on that uh, in 2020. Awesome. Elisa, thank, you, so thank you. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of The Stone Table. If you found this episode helpful, do us a favor and rate and subscribe and tell your friends about the show. Also, we would love to hear from you. So if you've got questions or things that you'd like us to cover on the show, you can shoot us an email at thestonetable at baylife.org. 
For Baylife Church, I'm Travis, and this is The Stone Table. This episode of The Stone Table. My name is Mickey, and I am a worship arts coordinator here at Baylife. And I am Travis. I am my name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 